Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Gosh, what a week it's been. Dizzying three-digit and four-digit swings on Wall Street. The Dow is back now to where it was about a week ago. Let's crunch the numbers, look at a few possible explanations with Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect. Arun, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. A pleasure as always. So there are a few possible explanations for last night's big rally. I'd love to hear what you think uh, about why the market came back so strongly. Sure thing. I mean, like, as you were mentioning, thousand point moves on a daily basis seems to be nothing these days. huh? Yeah. So yesterday's biggest news, uh, which I think really rallied the markets, was uh, Joe Biden having a super run coming back from behind on uh, Super Tuesday, which is basically a day in the U.S. where a large number of the delegates in the states go to vote as to who their pick is going to be in their respective public party. So in this case, the Democrats. And uh, we all know, like Bernie Sanders uh, had a massive lead in the Democratic uh, elections, which is going to be coming up in uh, November in the U.S. Now, the markets were placing that as a very negative because Bernie Sanders is kind of like anti-establishment and anti-business. So he wanted to try and break up all these big corporate, be it in technology or especially healthcare, and really raise taxes on everyone. Now, you compare that to Joe Biden, who is kind of like a known evil, given that he was Barack Obama's vice president for eight years. So with Joe Biden having this massive rally, huge momentum going into Tuesday, he won 10 out of the 14 states, with California still being undecided. Uh, So that was a massive relief. That was a huge relief rally to the markets that, okay, hopefully come November, it will either be Joe Biden or it will be Trump both of whom are pro-business, and hence things should relatively be a lot more stable as compared to if Bernie Sanders had uh, won the uh, Democratic elections. All right, quick question. Asian shares are following the U.S. lead. Sydney, the biggest mover. Uh, Seoul and Tokyo trading higher as well, last I checked. The volatility has not been as great, though, as what we've seen in the U.S. Why do you think that's so? Right, so I think uh, in Asia... The news of the coronavirus and the slowdown, we kind of saw this a lot more about three weeks to a month back, mm. where we were seeing much larger, much more volatile moves. I think now, given this crazy like media headline news, has, uh, while obviously it's still going around the world, mm-hmm. I think in Asia, we've become a little bit more used to it in a weird kind of way. Mm. And the bigger cases that you're seeing, the spike in cases is more in, like, say, Iran, Italy, and uh, now the U.S. with California recently announcing a state of emergency. So we're seeing larger moves in uh, the Western world currently, where this is a relatively more newer thing to them, mm-hmm. where in Asia we kind of saw that about a month back. Mm, okay, okay. Let's talk about the other big piece of news, the Federal Reserve slashing interest rates by half a percentage point. The first such emergency move since the 2008 financial crisis. The rate cut came between the central bank's regularly scheduled meetings was announced hours after the G7 finance chiefs held a rare teleconference to pledge that they would do all they can to combat the fast-moving health crisis. So, 
Big picture question, Arun, do you think this interest rate cut from the Fed is going to provide a meaningful boost to the U.S. economy? To be honest, I'm a little bit more skeptical about that because we're in, and we've talked about this quite extensively, you know, over the past couple of sessions also, wherein we are in an environment right now where interest rates are already close to all-time lows, right? Mm. The Fed reserve rate is like 1.5, 1.75. It used to be you have your 10-year treasuries on the back of this Fed cut is now like under 1%, which is basically all-time lows. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole perspective of the Fed trying to cut 50 basis points, thinking that this will assuage the market fears, it turned out to be incorrect because I think what the market was looking for was uh, the Fed obviously to do some kind of a cut uh, to show that they do care about the market. But in addition to have that statement, something similar to what Mario Draghi did uh, who was, uh, he was heading up to ECB a couple of years back to protect the euro from falling apart, saying that they will take any measure required to ensure that that does not happen. When Powell came along, uh, along with the rate cut news uh, a couple of days back, he mentioned that we are happy to cut it 50 basis points and then we'll adopt a more measured and like, let's see what happens going forward. This, and then that's why we could immediately see the markets actually drop by like 400 to 500 points that day because they were looking for the all-important, all-powerful Fed to come out all guns blazing saying we will protect the market and thereby we will protect the business environment. I think if they'd actually cut interest rates by even like 25 basis points mm -hmm. as an emergency cut to prove to the market that they are heavily involved, invested in ensuring market stability takes place. But along with that, even a 25 basis point cut, just saying that they will always be there to support market players, I think we would have actually seen a massive rally that day. But instead, by coming out and saying 50 basis points, mm -hmm. but not trying to say anything else after that, it kind of led the market to question, okay, you know, we're already at such low interest rates, 50 basis points, sure, but are they going to like start doing QE again? Because if they're not going to start doing uh, QE, mm -hmm. QE being quantitative easing, obviously, mm -hmm. and if they're not going to do that and expand the Fed balance sheet, then that means that, you know, we're already down to like 1%. How much more is there to go? And there really isn't that, there isn't that much. So will it really help growth of the economy? I'm not so sure. Right. For now, though, who will this interest rate cut benefit? Excellent question. And sadly, I think looking at the past five to 10 years uh, post the financial crisis, what have we seen with interest rates dropping from 5% to basically 0%? We've seen no inflation, which is quite surprising given that interest rates have been so low for so long. But what we have seen are massive asset bubbles taking place because people who are relatively wealthy can take their assets, their existing assets, leverage it up because it's really easy to get leverage at basically zero cost of capital or a very small, say, 1% cost of capital. Leverage it up. And what do they do with that? They start buying either safe instruments like bonds, uh, property, or more relatively more stable names on the equity space. And that's exactly what we've seen where the wealth income divide, the inequality, has gotten much, much worse in today's day and age as compared to where we were, say, 15 years ago. And that is because, like, obviously, while a lot of wealth was lost in the global financial crisis and while the rich were, you know, obviously lost a lot more in percentage terms, 
They started out with a lot larger absolute amount of wealth, which they have leveraged, invested into bonds, invested into real estate, and thereby made an absolute killing in the past 10 years while keeping cost of capital to be really low. It's precisely this wealth inequality that has brought about people like Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. to come onto uh, the stage and uh, for that matter, even Ray Dalio and other billionaires like uh, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Michael Bloomberg, they've all come out saying, you know, this is not going to be a sustainable way for society to move forward if mm-hmm. the rich just become so much richer, mm-hmm. courtesy these policies in place, low taxes, extremely low interest rates, and thereby leading to a more of an asset bubble. We're speaking with Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect. Arun, I want your take on fiscal policy as a means of dealing with COVID-19, fiscal and monetary stimulus. Do you think it is what is needed to curb the projected slowdown from COVID-19? Some say it doesn't do anything because this is a supply issue. And this is also a different world where we're seeing the, the, the world's second largest economy primarily hit. So, you know, in, in a model where fiscal policy may have worked, that was a different world. We're looking at a different world scenario now. What is your take on uh, how useful fiscal policy is to dealing with uh, COVID-19? I mean, that's very true. At the end of the day, there is no single uh, silver arrow that can get the economy back on track, Mm. right? So I think there has to be a multi-pronged approach which tries to achieve that. Now, what is the role of a government when a crisis occurs? They need to provide, obviously, the safety net because you know that uh, companies and individuals are going to be hurting a lot. So take a look at, say, you know, what the Singapore government has done really well uh, over the past about month, month and a half. They ensured that they were one of the first countries to ban travel to China, mm-hmm. which is obviously not going to be a very popular measure, uh, considering that you're kind of blocked the second largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. But they did that right up at the get-go. They ensured the safety of people by giving a lot of you know medical support, transparency and information, etc. So on the stability side, which is what the government should be providing, the Singapore government and, dare I say, the Chinese government to a very large extent also, did a very good job of that. Maybe not in the first month, month and a half in December and Jan when uh, the crisis started, but after that, we could see definitely in Feb and March, things have improved substantially from uh, in terms of like revealing of information from the Chinese government. So I think the multi-pronged approach is just if you cut interest rates, it's not going to help, which we could clearly see in the U.S. markets two days ago. Mm-hmm. But if you couple fiscal policy along with the monetary policy, along with a very expansionary budget, mm-hmm. and by that is something like, again, what the Singapore government has done by providing relief measures, lowering taxes to SMEs, providing them additional, be it skills credit or be it an additional, some kind of monetary benefit to people to ensure that they can go back to living their daily lives as possible, And if you can combine these three or four things, it leads to people being less scared. And when people, you know, start going back to their day-to-day routine, obviously in a very cautious manner, Mm -hmm. you start seeing the economy coming back on track. Just doing one thing will Mm -hmm. not solve anything. Like, as you mentioned, right, like you've got interest rates by, say, 50 basis points or 1%. Everyone is like, okay, you know, your factories are still shut. Then you're still going to remain shut, say, one month or two months later. Mm. How does that help anything? It doesn't, right? Like, other than, you know, what I was mentioning earlier, the rich people becoming richer because they just leverage 
their current assets, buying more bonds, Indeed. getting that uh, fixed interest rate. So you need like a many, like it, it's obviously a massive problem which has to be dealt with a whole bunch of different kinds of solutions, mm. which as a combination, hopefully can get things back on track. It's all about confidence in people, right? You need to get people back to believing that things are going to be normal. And then once you start doing that, the things tend to go back to normal, contingent to proper safety measures, proper medical care in this case uh, being provided. All right, let's turn to Malaysia. Malaysia's central bank also cut its key interest rate to the lowest level in 10 years. It did so on Tuesday, also aiming, of course, to soften the blow from the COVID-19 outbreak. So Bank Negara Malaysia lowering its overnight policy rate by 25 basis points to 2.5%. This is the second reduction to its benchmark rate this year. And of course, we have to take this into account within the context of its fiscal stimulus package unveiled last week to help businesses and households. What is your take, I suppose, on this, the cutting of the key interest rate in this context? Is it going to help Malaysia, which we know has been, you know, in the throes of political instability recently? Right. So, I mean, this was something that I guess they were forced to do because you have other central banks across the world sitting and cutting interest rates. And your inherent economy, like you mentioned, the political turmoil following the resignation of uh, Matahir Mohammed, mm-hmm. we have, obviously, because of the political turmoil, uh, Malaysia was not doing great anyway. You had central banks cutting interest rates across the world, the US, Australia, uh, Malaysia had to follow suit. But again, will that kickstart the economy just by itself? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But what I do think is interesting is last week when they announced their 20 billion ringgit, which is just a shade under uh, 5 billion US, Mm -hmm. where they, you know, to cushion the effect of the outbreak. There were a lot of tax breaks. There were cash aids to companies as well as households. And I think that the combination of all of the above would hopefully help the Malaysian economy recover, which is very interlinked to Singapore, obviously, considering their neighbors. But at the same time, the political aspect has to stabilize. And only once that missing piece is taken care of, will the economy try and recover a lot more. Right. So until the uh, political situation resolves and no one knows how long that's going to take. Yeah, but that's going to be key. That is the scary thing, right? Because you need a government. In, in during times of distress like this, the government has to come out and be extremely powerful and showcase to its population that they are in control. Mm. And right now, like this is one of the worst times that he could have possibly resigned, right? When the, when the country and the world economy in general was not doing so great. Indeed. Let's take a closer look at what's happened over in Australia. We also saw interest rate cuts there. What do you think is going to happen over in Australia? What do you see happening? Australia for it cut its benchmark rate this week to just half a percent, a record low. I believe it's the worst performing market in the region. It was the morning after the cut. It is. And uh, that is primarily stemming from the fact that they had a massive uh, property price run up over the past five or 10 years. And in the last about a year on, that property price has come crashing down. Mm. Now, this is kind of like a repeat of what we saw in the U.S., right, where you had a good economy. uh, But because in this case, interest rates were so low across the globe, we suddenly saw that uh, property prices in Australia uh, rallied a lot. And obviously, banks are the ones who provide leverage to uh, your average household to buy these properties. So when property prices came crashing, you could see bank share prices getting hit tremendously. 
from two aspects. One is the quality of assets that they now had on their balance sheets was not as good as what they thought they were. And obviously, when you have very low interest rates, it becomes very difficult to take a spread from lending versus borrowing for a bank. So you had this, uh, you had a double blow to Australian banks, which we could see in their share prices and the multiples that they were trading at. It was in like, uh, you know, fractions of their price to book ratios. So while the economy was rallying only for property prices, you were seeing the underlying issues in the economy not doing so well, bank shares not doing so well. Since, and now obviously this coronavirus took a massive hit in the Australian economy because they were supplying a lot of raw materials to China. Now, with the Chinese economy slowing down, obviously Australia was hit. You could see that in the currency also. In fact, central bank did a preemptive move because they actually cut interest rates before the U.S. Uh, Fed did. But at the same time, there are obviously a lot of issues going on in that economy. And while hopefully uh, this will be able to at least pacify the market for a little bit, it'll be more important to see what kind of stimulus package that's, you know, that comes out in the next, uh, hopefully this week, uh, similar to Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, China, obviously. I think that will be the key for to see what the next steps of the economy is going to be. All right. Amidst all this doom and gloom, how are safe haven investments doing? We know that when when it comes to U.S. Treasury bonds, uh, we saw them falling further yesterday to new lows. Some say this reflects bets that the Fed could slash interest rates further at its March 17th, 18th meeting. Uh, The yield on the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury settling at down at 0.994%, according to TradeWeb last time I checked. What is your take on safe haven investments? At the same time, we're seeing a rally in gold prices. Right. I mean, it's fixed income instruments have been in such a massive bull market over the past, uh, you know, three, uh, like last two months for sure. And generally over the past like 10 to 12 years. If anyone had told me back in 2007 that 10-year treasuries are going to be sub 1% for mm-hmm. an extended period of time with no inflation, it would be crazy. But such is the world we're living in now these days, right? Where you have, I think, over $15 trillion worth of bonds that are giving negative interest rates. So people are actually willing to buy an instrument that is giving you a negative interest rate just because you know that, or potentially you think that the price appreciation of that will offset the negative interest rate prior to it maturing. A 10-year bond, a treasury bond trading at like less than 1%, it's like you're paying 100 PE price-to-earnings ratio for this instrument where you know that the earnings are going to be fixed for the next 10 years. Gosh. It's scary. Like, mm. But as a, an investor or as asset investor where you have multiples of billions of dollars and you're dealing in times of duress like this, the only place that you can go to are you know, your U.S. dollar and U.S. government bonds, because that is, you know, the most safest of instruments in the market right now, as you ha- and which is what we are clearly seeing uh, in the past couple of months, especially where a lot more, regardless of what the yield is being provided by these uh, instruments, people are just piling onto it. And we can also see that in terms of gold. It was interesting where for a day or two, gold actually corrected when the markets were correcting. And there were some rumors that this might be because of margin calls, mm-hmm. wherein you have a lot of investors 
who leveraged up, which is easily possible uh, because of the low cost of capital. They leverage up and they buy gold, but they also buy equities as a hedge, you know, just in case something works. Like either the economy recovers and equities go up or the economy goes down and uh, gold starts shooting up. When you have these leveraged kind of accounts and equity markets corrected in such a sharp manner, then the entire account gets shut because of the account being margin called. And when that happened, then you want to liquidate your long gold positions also. There were some rumors of that as to that's maybe why gold uh, corrected when the equity markets are correcting. Mm. But yes, as you mentioned, traditionally, they typically are safe haven plays where in, in, uh, in an unleveraged account, uh, you know, having potentially both of them kinds of like uh, keeps you protected on, on whatever happens in either way, be it the economy doing really well or the economy doing not so well. Uh, and that's why you could see gold uh, rallying a little bit uh, yesterday, where I guess all the leverage accounts were kind of flushed out and people started going back into gold potentially as a hedge against, you know, in case uh, COVID-19 takes another turn for the worse in the next couple of weeks. I'm very proud of myself for having shared on this program about two years ago that, you know, gold was something to look at given the sustained rally in gold prices. But I want your take on what the future of gold could be. Do you think given what's happened, we're not seeing a fundamental shift in the attitude towards gold, still perceived as a safe haven? I think it's difficult. Firstly, you know, maybe you should get another job as an investor yourself. (laughs) You know, might as well monetize your uh, views, uh, Michelle. So coming to gold, I think... During times like this, you know, if you're a very smart trader uh, who is very involved in the markets, I think there is definitely a way to monetize that and benefit from it. But at the same time, the biggest demand for gold, like, like real demand for gold, it's not so much on the industrial side, unlike, say, platinum or silver. Mm. Uh, it's more on the Indian economy where they use gold for ornaments and for decorative purposes. Now, if you ask, like, say, my generation of what their opinion of gold is versus, say, you know, my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation, Mm -hmm. their view of gold was a lot more concrete in terms of, you know what, if you're getting married, then forget everything else, we will gift you some gold. Mm -hmm. And that's spread across the culture, right? So you have literally a country of a billion people who strongly believe that gold is able to maintain its inherent value. Now, on the other side, as like my generation or people who are even like younger than me, their take on gold is very different from the parents. And when that happens and you start seeing potentially a demand side issue where, you know what, gold is not construed as what we thought it was or what our parents thought it was, Uh, in India, then you could potentially see uh, one aspect of demand suddenly dropping. Now, that being said, on the other side, with the U.S. dollar depreciating the amount that it has, given that interest rates are so low anyway, you're seeing a lot of central banks across the world investing or buying physical gold as a hedge against, you know, a, a currency exposure. And when that happens, then you have another demand lever suddenly coming about where, China, Russia, Japan are like, you know what, I don't know what is happening with the U.S. government. We are obviously not having great ties with them either. Maybe buying and stocking physical gold could be, you know, the safest way forward. So you've seen uh, an increase of that taking place. 
And it kind of makes sense where would you rather own U.S. Treasury, you know, so basically a paper of a country that you do not trust as much as you potentially thought you did 10 years ago, earning less than 1% interest rate for a 10-year period, or just stockpile gold, which you know is going to be a 0% interest, but at least it might be some kind of an instrument that uh, all countries or all people across the world might consider as an investable asset. I love so it. We're seeing that yeah. demand lever coming up. Yeah, <laughs> I love it when we end on an optimistic note like that, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <yeah. laughs> Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. A terrific Arun Pai, he's Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect, rounding up uh, this week's edition of Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.